On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies? We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we are doubly thrilled to welcome sisters Tembi and Attica Locke about their new Netflix series, From Scratch. Tembi Locke is the New York Times bestselling author of her memoir, From Scratch, a memoir of love, Sicily, and finding home, and an actor, producer, and screenwriter with a passion for connecting with an audience both on the page and on the screen. From Scratch is a Reese Witherspoon Book Club pick, an Audi Awards Best Audiobook finalist, and a Goodreads Best Books finalist. Tembi serves as executive producer and co-writer for the Netflix limited series inspired by her book. Her sister Attica Locke is also a New York Times bestselling author who has written five novels and been honored with a myriad of accolades, including an Edgar Award, the Harper Lee Prize for Legal Fiction, the Ernest Gaines Award for Literary Excellence, an NAACP Image Award, and a Los Angeles Times Book Prize, among others. A former fellow at the Sundance Institute's Feature Filmmakers Lab, Attica is also a screenwriter and producer with credits that include Empire, When They See Us, and the Emmy-nominated Little Fires Everywhere, for which she won an NAACP Image Award for Television Writing. Attica co-wrote the adaptation of From Scratch and serves as showrunner of the series. First of all, congratulations. I saw the news, number one in the world on Netflix. What is that? It's surreal. (laughs) Look at your faces. Attica's shaking her head. Debbie's hiding. I don't, I, I I, don't even understand what is happening. <laughs> I, I mean, I thought that people would like it. I mean, because I like this. So yeah. like, it's entertaining to me. So I, I hope everybody else likes it. But this is kind of beyond. It is. Beyond. It's, it's phenomenal. Well, I have been saying about the show, a good show is entertaining. A great show makes you feel something. This show makes you feel everything. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was part of what we hope to to do. We hope to bring the full depth and breadth of our humanity yes. onto the screen, oh. but also everybody's humanity. Oh, yes. And the way we fall down with each other, the way we stand up for each other, how we rise and fall over the course of a life and mm. love and, and, and so... It's just incredible to me the way it's touching people's lives. Like, I thought, like, okay, it'll touch people. I could see that. Like, there's just inherent things that it could touch people. I didn't understand the TikToks of people, <laughs> like, saying, I have to take the TikTok because my emotions are so big right now. And what this show did mm-hmm. to me, oh. that 
I didn't expect oh. that. And the fact that they have a whole range, that could be from episode one, episode, I mean, it, there's a whole range of emotions that you want to mimic and get out and say, oh my gosh, I relate to this, even though none of my details are the same. It's, it's yeah. you, as you've said so many times, the humanity of it. So I just want to start with this. So many people devoured Tembi, your best-selling memoir, and even more people are clearly watching Amy and Lino's journey, which is based on your story, but it's really fiction. So tell us a little bit about this isn't your life. This is something different. What can fans of the memoir expect and what is it really? Yeah, so it very much is, well, one, we changed the name. So Amy and Lino, and I did that mostly early on. Attic and I talked about I needed, as the author and as the person who lived it, the, the psychological sort of space to be able to put it, take it from page and put it on onto the screen. And we knew that it would have to go in new places and in places that are not in the book, but we always wanted those places to be inspired by real things that actually happened, right? So you'll see Amy and Lino do things that maybe you didn't read about in the book, but they're grounded in something that actually did happen. Yes. Before Sato and I are with us, or it's based on a story he told me. And so we kept to the heartbeat and the essential truth of the experience while we invented new things. And we kept really the core emotional tenets and truths of the book on, you know, onto the screen. And there are moments that are actually... <laughs> True yes, to the book. exact yeah. moments that are in the book are in are on yes. screen for sure. And there's a whole lot of new yes. stuff. Yes, yes. And so Attica, you know, this series may be based on Tenby's memoir, but I understand that you're initially responsible for this story making it to the screen. Something about you accidentally pitching it to the head of Hello Sunshine before <laughs> it was even it. published. <laughs> yes. So please tell us about that. Because yes. that sounds like something a sister would do to another sister. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I had read an early draft of the book, and I kind of knew it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. I knew it was special. I think some part of me thought, one day, maybe I'll, I'll see if I could tell Hello Sunshine about it. I don't know. But the opportunity just presented itself in that I went into their offices to read the Little Fires Everywhere pilot script, mm -hmm. which was at the time under lock and key. And then Lauren Neustadter and I just started talking afterwards, and she was talking about other books that they were looking at because we were about to do Little Fires Everywhere. And she was talking about books that were love stories and books that were unexpected stories. And she mentioned something about an unexpected story about a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law and mm -hmm. a complicated relationship. And I went, oh, huh. I got I that. Book, book. Got that in it. Let me just tell you the whole story. And so I just pitched the entire book, my sister's oh. entire love story with Sato and her mother-in-law on the spot and Lauren was like, huh, I like that title. I don't know about your sister wrote the book, but I like this title and there might be something here. And she read it. Emily Fehrenbach at Hello Sunshine read it. Reese Witherspoon read it. And they then saw what I saw, which is it is a really good book. Mm -hmm. And they were like, mm -hmm. let's sit down and talk about what it would look like to adapt this. Mm. Oh my that, gosh. That, that is, is amazing. amazing. When I got the call from Attica... <laughs> confessing <laughs> really like don't be mad at me but I did this thing I was of many minds I was like nervous I was like in shock 
But I also felt like, oh my gosh, she really believes in oh, me yeah. and in this story because I knew she wouldn't arbitrarily or just because share it with Hello Sunshine of all places, right. you know? Right. So right. It, it touched me that she thought so much of it and was such an early believer in me and in the story. And so, you know, it was like, okay, well, let's... Let's see what happens. I'm going to send it, and I don't know. That, but, you know. that is a massive vote of confidence. You're right. So you've already touched on, Attica, you mentioned mother-in-law, but motherhood is a huge theme in this show. And it really explores motherhood in its full complexity, all the complications, all the, the truth, the hard truth sometimes, of what, and the beautiful truths. And it's not just one thing, which is something that we really love exploring on here. And it's not just nuanced angles, it's, it's forms, mothers-in-law, stepmother, adoptive mother. You really have everything in these rich characters. And like I said, hard truths like mothers can be jealous, mothers can abandon their children, they don't always unconditionally love. End of story. That's so simple. It's conveyed how we all want it to be conveyed. And and my God, we loved we loved experiencing that. Tell us about your exploration of motherhood in this series. It was kind of baked into the story that you would look at motherhood. I think it's like clearly we knew that Amy would become a mother and we knew that she would end up having this relationship with her her mother-in-law that seemed unlikely but along the way we kind of discovered the opportunity to explore other types of mothering by bending the truth a little bit with our real lives meaning our mother never abandoned or left us but I would say that my mother was a very young mother and I think she would tell us and she would tell you if she were on this podcast that she struggled as a very young mother who didn't quite know what to do. Mm-hmm. And this was during a period of time where, God bless my father, men were not in the realm of helping out. And she just felt truly, truly lost. And it had it had the irony of, of the fact that here she was heavily involved in the civil rights movement, heavily involved in social justice for black folks. But as a woman, she wasn't necessarily getting the support that she needed as a young mother. Mm -hmm. So we took something like that and of course expanded it into greater drama, which she left the family and this, that, and the other. We happen to have a very lovely stepmother who's very loving and welcomed us in. She actually has biological children, but we looked at that as an opportunity. We saw a way to look at how people mother, even though they don't have biological children and how that's a choice that you're making. Mm-hmm. The the birth mother in the story, you know, oh, that oh. Is, that scene makes me weep. Oh my every god! Time I watch oh my it. god! It's unbelievable. Every time, it's 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 really amazing, and it's also a different way of looking. I'll let Timby speak to that more specifically. But you are correct in that, though. We knew we were going to do Amy as a mother, Amy in a complicated relationship with her mother in law. We saw opportunities to comment on all of the different ways of yeah. mothering. Yeah, I don't know a woman in my life who doesn't have a complicated mother relationship, yeah. <laughs> whether, and what I mean by that is whether they are mother themselves or they're not a mother or a complicated relationship with their mother. And by the way, complicated doesn't necessarily equate bad. It just right. means exactly what it is. Complicated. Mm-hmm. It means a relationship you're constantly work out and to understand and to, you know, see yourself in relation to that other person and as you grow and change. And so it felt natural 
that as the show grows up with these characters mm. and as it follows 14 years that all of these relationships would have to evolve and change and we would have to plug into them and explore them at different developmental stages yeah yeah yeah, yeah and you know you're you're talking about you're right everyone has some kind of mothering relationship no matter what whether they have children or not and that speaks to the what I think is the universality of this story Tembi I, I read you said what was one woman's singular story is now everybody's story and I think everyone will see some part of their life in this and and for me and I'm, I'm definitely not gonna cry it was episode seven when Lino passes my you know, my father died of a terminal illness it was not cancer but it was ALS and so you know I related to so many things I mean just the grief first of all that comes with the diagnosis that that's like the first grief of a diagnosis of something like that then you know the weight of and like mm. the ups and downs of being a caregiver so you, you cover all of that, which I experienced. And then just the part that you handled so incredibly beautifully was the scene when, when, he, when he passes. And I don't know if I would ever be able to explain what that's like to watch someone die. I, I never, I don't think I would ever be able to put it into words. But to watch that scene, you you did it. I mean, you you were able to communicate just the full embodiment of grief in that moment, but in the whole series. And I heard you also say that your book and the show is about translating experiences. And so one of those things is grief. But for someone like me, it was seeing a part of myself, right? And making me feel seen. But for other people, I was thinking that's exactly what you did. You translated it yeah. for people who have never thankfully maybe experience that exact type of grief and so you're helping them understand and so you must have heard I would imagine from so many people yeah. who who see something like this one of these scenes one of these moments I guess it's like what you mentioned earlier these people that take to TikTok or, or anything else and so you know you said it's like soul medicine for the world and that's exactly what it is and so I'd love to hear more about sort of what you're hearing, the reactions you're getting from people. I know you already did when you wrote your memoir, but even now just from this series. Yeah, I thank you so much for your share and I'm sorry for your loss. I, thank you. I can feel, I can feel what that brought up in watching it. Mm -hmm. And you're right, I did want to witness provide witness for those of us who have been in that experience and to say it mattered, what happened mattered. And I wanted to provide a model or a guide or a template, if you will, for someone who maybe hasn't walked that path yet. Right. Yeah. It becomes a talking point because I've known Kate for many years and I've, I, I've known about her father. She's spoken about his passing and this was a whole new level of understanding that was brought and opened up. That's one of the things we really wanted. When I wrote the book, I definitely thought I was writing it for myself. I thought I was writing it for my daughter, but I definitely consciously had in mind that if someone reads this and it in some way makes their path a little gentler, a little easier, if they see learn something new about grief or love, then great. I've I've my done job. my work as a writer. With the series now, I'm getting, hearing back personally from 
people who've been caregivers, children who've lost a parent, widowed people. I'm hearing from, I heard, got a message from a birth mother. I got a message from a hospice nurse. I got a message from lots of Italian, you know, immigrants who their parents, right, came here and they're like, no one, oh my God, you captured them so well. You know, so for me, that's what I mean about like, we tried with such intentionality that when we were bringing forth the thread of a particular story to do it as authentically and as honestly as we could with great specificity so that it would touch every, it would like potentially reach everyone. And it's, it's very meaningful. And we always wanted to start the conversation. I am not an expert in any of this. I'm someone who simply lived it, who lived to write about it and talk about it. And so the degree to which sharing that experience ignites a conversation in someone else or encourages them to go maybe learn more or think differently about something. Great. Yeah, you did. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Attica, I want to talk about the writer's room because as Tembi is saying, there's this so much raw material from her life, not only the material, but the rawness to it and how being fiction allowed her little distance. What were you looking for in terms of fit people who would be open to honoring what's there, but also having an imagination to expand on it? Is, and what was the room like in that way? Well, first of all, this writer's room is one of the things I'm most proud of in my life. Not only did I put together a room of extraordinarily thoughtful, talented people, we grew so close that our, mm. the pandemic happened right at the end of our room. We met once a week for a full year on Zoom, every Monday night for a year until production started. Wow. Wow. So we also held on to each other during a time when we were all lost and scared and confused. So what I was looking for beyond talent, everybody who was in our room, I knew what they could do on paper. I wanted two things. One, Timby sat in on a lot of the interviews And I also needed them to not be like strangely, and this is going to sound weird, but I didn't want them to be like in awe of her or to be like treating her like she was fragile or made of glass because Timby was going to be in the writer's room. So you would have to be able to see her as a full person and manipulate and, and bend and play with elements of her life without feeling like you couldn't say certain things. So in that sense, I wanted that just vibrational feel. But I was also looking for people who were willing to be deep. I described it to somebody earlier today. Like I wanted it to feel like a dinner party, like at the end of the night when you're like almost finished with all the wine and you all start to get real, <laughs> kind of real with each other. Yes. I wanted to Your bellies are full. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And, and people are laughing, but you're also now that it got quiet. Somebody tells a story that maybe you've never heard before from them. And, and I wanted people who had experienced difficult things, who were willing to talk about those difficult things. And it was just a magical alchemy, what we came up with, that we trusted each other almost from day one. I think we were probably all crying on the first day. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> I don't know what came over us, but it just felt like a fit that we could, that all of our hearts were safe with each other. And I really relied on them, Timby and I both did, to take the core essence of things that 
happened in real life that maybe weren't in the book, but also to blow them out, to somehow fold in a new character that didn't exist or all in service to the ultimate essence of the ultimate truth of the memoir. And they brought wonderful, wonderful, wonderful mm. things to the show mm. that didn't exist. So much about Amy's art life in LA because Tim B is an actor. And so that was a new thing that we kind of invented that Amy wanted to be an, a visual artist and wanted to be in that world. And, you know, they gave the room, gave us Chloe Lem and, you know, just great lines of dialogue and just so many interesting things. I'm just, it would not be what it is without them. Mm. Yeah. Okay. How do you know if, if someone's willing to go there? How, oh. how can you tell that? If the writer's willing uh, to go deep with you. Well, one, I'm, I'm a pretty intuitive person. And mm-hmm. we have these in-person meetings over coffee. And I don't know how to explain it. I could just tell certain people. And I, here's the other thing I want to say. The people that didn't want to go there that I met with, I, I have nothing but compassion. Sure. I met with one writer who had recently lost her parents. I could tell there is no way that she wanted to sit in that for six, seven hours a day. And that is okay. So she, that is okay. So I could just tell in talking to people, yeah, the quality of their conversations, what they were willing to reveal in a 45 minute interview. It was just a felt sense. I will tell you that the night before the room started, I was like, Oh, but what if I'm wrong? And what if this is a total fucking disaster? So I wasn't certain. I just had a sense that I thought I was onto something and that I thought this room was really going to work. We're going to come back to that, that intuition. We're going to come back to that. When I was in those meetings with Attica, the one thing, I mean, Attica's our showrunner. So she, she'd been in many writers rooms. I knew she knew what she needed as a showrunner to get, you know, all the episodes out. What I was looking for in the meetings was people who, if they brought forth an element of the book in a new way that surprised me, Mm. meaning they would refer to something in the book and they'd say, you know, it made me think about this. And it was something I'd never thought of. I thought, oh, well, that's a mind I want to hang out with, right? You did not only a close reading of the the book, but it also sparked something in you that had never occurred to me. That felt dynamic Mm. and engaging and it could be a spark of something that would be really interesting. Yes. Oh, I love that. And I loved your posts, Attica, on Instagram where you've highlighted every one of the writers in the writer's room. And I read every single one of them. And I love that because we talk about TV shows on here all the time. And because of the way we are, which is super detail-oriented, we actually do look at who's in the writer's room. We read about them. We don't just look at the showrunner or the creator, but we're just nerds, right? So, But most people watch a TV show, maybe they know who the creator is. Maybe they know the showrunner. They never know who, that there's a whole room full of people. I mean what I say, this would not exist without them. Yeah. In any way. Yeah. I wanted to ask about these like from scratch moments, right? So you had said, Tim, that we're all destined to remake our lives at least once, maybe many times. We will each have our from scratch moment where we have to go forward with curiosity and openness. And I just loved that because I'm actually a person who fears change, who doesn't really seek it out. This is the opposite of Corinne. And so... But I'm sort of at a place in my life where I'm more open to it. And sometimes, of course, you don't get a choice, you know, as your memoir in the series shows you. But but sometimes you do or, or there's many ways in which 
people are confronted with these from scratch moments. So I wanted to ask, you know, obviously we know the one highlighted here in the series, but you know, if either one of you have other ones you want to share and what you learned from them or, or how you remain open to them. My from scratch moment is I had a career pivot. I started in Hollywood and then I walked away from Hollywood and decided to write books and I didn't know how to do it or if anybody cared. And that felt like starting over. It felt like starting from scratch mm -hmm. because I had this career in Hollywood where I knew there was guaranteed money, some kind of sense of recognition. I was suddenly starting down a path that was brand new. And I'm glad I did it. And I'm glad I did it with, as Timby said, with curiosity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the thing I would add to it is, you know, in our series, many of our characters are having from scratch moments. And, and what I mean by that is, for example, Lino and his father mending fences, mm. their relationship is a page one rewrite. Like they are starting from scratch and building a trust with each other from then on, right? Mm -hmm. um, Herschel with Amy, once he actually gets in his head that Amy isn't gonna go back to law school, okay, it's like, that's a, well, this is, is, what hap is what's happening. It's not what I chose, not what I would've wanted, but it's what's happening. Let's begin there. So from scratch moments can be job changes, it can be diagnoses, can be lost, but it can also be the shifts that happen inside of yes. relationships that suddenly you're meeting someone in your life in a whole new way. And with intentionality and curiosity, you go forward. Mm. That's a from scratch moment too. That's equally as valid as being widowed and starting right. over. Because I think we're constantly practicing these micro moments of like, am I going to meet this new moment that I didn't expect? I didn't see coming was not foretold to me. Can I do that from a curious place, from an open place, from a loving place, from a vulnerable mm. place? That's what I mean by a from scratch moment. Oh, Tembi, you just led me perfectly to my next question. But also, this is something I say about my husband and I. I feel like we have had, Kate, you're smiling because you knew I was going to say that. I feel like we've had several marriages over the course of one single marriage. Wow. And it's because we've had these from scratch moments. And some of them were you know, our own doing. And some of them were, I'm, I'm busting my fists together because <laughs> we're butting heads. But, um, and then some of them have been kids and moving and all the external things too. But we have managed to, you know, meet those from scratch moments with, like you said, vulnerability, love, not always curiosity, but, <laughs> but we got there. <laughs> we got there. So I really want to talk about, there's so much love in, in this show all kinds of love, but of course, the epic love story between Amy and Lino. And you bring us from their meet-cute on the streets of Florence, their passionate love scenes, and then also the complicated moments of mature love. And then, of course, oh, there's the, the scene when Amy calls her dad for advice about a d difficult decision in her marriage. And he <laughs> says, I think you dialed the wrong number. You need to call your husband. So good. So good. But you, so many stories will focus on just the early part of romance, or I can imagine this book focused, or a, a story of, of similar ilk that's just on the grief, mm -hmm. but you brought us the whole way through, and including those middle hard parts, the communication, the partnership, the compromise, and you did it without diminishing the love between them. That is not easy. Obviously, you lived it enough to bring it to us, but 
even if you've lived it, it's not easy to convey. And I wanted to know if that was always part of the plan and, you know, why that was important to you. I think if you're going to tell the truth, life is neither either or, it's a yes and, and often many things are happening at once. And every relationship will be tested, every relationship, romantic or otherwise. And so to pretend that just because we're in the sphere of romance, that it somehow gets to magically skip over that is the most dishonest thing in the world, <laughs> right? But yeah. it's also like, well, then how, now that we are in these in the trenches, right? And it, this, as Zor often says, the shit's getting real now. Mm-hmm. Like, if the shit's getting real now, what are we going to do? And we wanted to show that, one, because it's true. It's true to life. It's what I know. It's what I lived. But also it's what everybody goes through. And also to show, in some ways, that you can get through it. Yeah. If, again... You're in agreement and you're willing to be vulnerable, willing to expand that love space, willing to have the hard conversations. Mm. You know, you have a better chance of making it through. Oh, willing to expand that heart space. Oh, that's so good. I, you know, I, I think I love to harp on the bad parts because I like to tell, be real honest. But the, I forget the love sometimes. I forget to remind people I'm <laughs> desperately in love with my husband and you just did that <laughs> so perfectly and I forget sometimes to add that it comes through listen marriage and, and relationships and Attica and I can speak to this even as siblings it's a lot about someone said to me and I think we can appreciate this on this podcast as writers it's like you have to be writing the same book you don't have to be writing the same chapter and um, in the same page at the exact same, but you have to be in agreement that you're writing the same book. Oh. So I can't be writing an adventure novel and you're writing like, you know, I don't know, sci-fi. Like we have to be. So, the, but so I think often we think that if we're not all on the same page at the exact same time, in the same way, at the same moment, then this marriage is nothing. Well, that's not really true, <laughs> you know, but we have to be able to say, I'm way over here and you're way over there. Are we still doing the thing we thought we were doing <sighs> and checking in that checking in? And we do it as siblings. I think you have to do it in marriages. We've had to do it with our parents. You have to check if you want the relationship in your life in a real, present, open, honest, authentic way, then you have to have the open authentic conversations and someone has to be able to hear it mm. and someone has to be willing to speak yes. it. Mm. Writing oh the same book, going yeah. to the uh, same destination. I'm writing this down. Yes. <laughs> you guys have talked, of course, about being sisters and the relationship, but I really felt like this series was brought to life. I was saying to Corinne by like a collective sisterhood. I'm your lead, Zoe Saldana is executive producer and her two sisters are her producing partners. You have a female director for most of the episodes. Um, and Zing, all the, did all she direct them? them? Oh, the that's true. Directors. I was oh thinking of God, Nzinga Stewart amazing. who directed most of them, but you're right. But that's but right. Denny Gordon is, is, is yep. the other and one. And then of course, Hello Sunshine, you had the partnership with Reese and Lynn, uh, Lauren Neustadter. So you had all these women, sisters, by blood, some of them, but sort of just sisters in the broader sense. So I was wondering, as obviously a podcast who focuses on women and female creators, sort of what that experience was like and and how that affected the the finished product. I have been fortunate that in my career, I've only ever had Mm. female bosses in television. Wow. So the example of leadership that I've had 
is respectful, non-hierarchical, and open to hearing other ideas. I have never had a male boss in TV. Maybe they do all those things too. (laughs) But I do know that women lead slightly differently. And in particular, Liz Tigelar, who is my mentor, had such a way of steering the ship while also really listening to when to pivot direction. And it felt for me with all of the women on our set, because we all had a base level of respect for each other, when there was conflict, it never had heat underneath it. Mm. It was never contentious. And it took me a while to begin to deeply appreciate the, that the conflict was kind of like the point, meaning when we saw scenes slightly differently, but again, like Tempe said, but we're all, we were all writing the same book then, okay, we can really have a conversation about this because we all respect each other. We all love each other. We're just seeing this slightly differently, even though we're telling the same story. Mm -hmm. And half the times that made individual scenes that much better and that much richer because of the dialectic, because of the what on his face looks like conflict, what was really creative. Dimension, Um, yeah. I don't know what you would call it. Yeah, it, it dynamism. Yeah. It was just it really helped make things better. Oh, I love the conflict is the point. I love it. If you're writing the same thing, you're if for you maybe writing the same show, not the same book, but you're the conflict just brings much more. It makes it more three dimensional. That's amazing. Yeah, no, I just would add to that. I think there was an incredible attention to detail, and I don't mean that that's not you know in in a if it, if it weren't all women, but I think that there's a way in which we could make space for the things that seemed, you know, at times I know for me as the producer on the set and as a new writer, I would bring ideas forth that may have seemed a little esoteric or like, but I think it just needs this. And instead of it being shot down, it was like, oh, okay, let's talk. There was space to talk about it and unpack it. And out of that would come something that was useful or might show up later on, if not on that particular day somewhere else. And so that I think is a way of the way women communicate with each other. I know it's like, you know, when you go and you have dinner with your girlfriend, you're like, they say the thing, you're like, hey, what do you really mean by that? Okay, well, what's underneath that? Like, we would do that as a group working together. So a suggestion would come through, and maybe I didn't totally get it, but I might be like, well, what what more is there? Tell me more. You know, let me hear more. That kind of um, curiosity in space was important. I keep using curiosity because it's a big thing. Yeah, because it opens the door for so much else. So many other things can come through when you're seeking with curiosity that just can't come through if you're looking for answers or definitive point or a destination. It just doesn't come through the same way. Well, we can't let Tembi and Attica leave, Corinne, without getting to our favorite thing to discuss. I, I mean, obviously, other than from scratch. But we have a tremendous side interest here in astrology. I just find it fascinating and I, you know, read horoscopes, not always daily. I certainly read them monthly. I've been like this for years. I just feel like if the moon is affecting my period every month, how the hell can yeah, not affect And the tides, I mean, the, the Pacific Ocean gets affected by the moon. Yeah. How can you yeah. tell me that it doesn't yeah. matter? And almost everything they've ever said about a Pisces yes. is true. I was just going to say, the, I said before, the intuitiveness of how you knew people would go deep in your room and the posts that you 
did celebrating each of them all of those so pisces that's very pisces of you and <laughs> but your mercury is in pisces too and i don't know how deep you get into your chart into where your planets are well and... tell me i want to hear I okay hear. so your mercury is how you communicate and yes. so that's also in pisces so that the, it's just it, the way you communicate both orally and in writing so i just feel like that really suits you your moon which is how your your insides is aquarius they're like outside the box thinkers and and so I don't know. I just felt like it was very you. And Tembi, you are like Leo. Oh, we have yours too. <laughs> extreme. And I am a Leo. Okay. So when I saw that. But you're not. I mean, you're a Leo is your sun sign. But how you communicate, your Mercury is Leo. Your Mars, which is how you take action, is in Leo. If you have that much Leo, it's considered a stellium in Leo, like which means you're like an extra Leo. And so am I. I it's so funny you say that because the other thing I'm realizing now at this age, you know, this stage of my life, like, oh, the things where I'm like, oh, this must be intuitively, like deeply just a part of me. Like yes. I there's some things I've cultivated. There's certainly things I've cultivated, things I've acquired, I've attempted to learn, to sharpen, but then there's some things that are just innately yes. me that can that I'm like, what what can that be assigned to? And when you say like so so Leo, like a almost triple, yeah, triple or you know, Leo, it reminds me of the fact that I'm so my blood type is O positive and I'm like, of course it would be. I'm all the bloods. I'm like all the bloods put together. <laughs> I'm like, of course. It's like I can't do it just one thing. Yeah. Like I'm not just gonna be it and I'm gonna give it like Yes, that's exactly (laughs) right. uh, Anyway, that's just anecdotally something I'm learning about myself is like, just, I'm I'm in. It's It's why we love astrology. That's what I was going to say. It does help us understand ourselves. There are some things that it does help explain and it helps you understand other people. It's like, that makes sense that you're like that because of this or that. And Attica, I am am actually... I love it. I'm actually... Aries sun, but I have a stellium in Pisces from the other planets. So I am very Pisces. I I got wow. I get that. And both my son and my daughter are Pisces. My brother is Pisces. I have a lot of Pisces in my life. In me and in my life. I love it. So we've got a lot of Pisces and a lot of Leo on this. <laughs> yes. Call, on well this there's season. the fire yeah. <laughs> Tembi, you and I are like all fire signs or earth signs and we're all fixed signs, me me and you. But Corinne and Attica have like more of the water sign, the feeling, the intuition, you know. So it's a great combo is really I what know. I was going to say between the two of you and between and the, the two, two of us. us. It's a good combo. So Yes, they were. Good partnership. Yes, exactly. Yes. Exactly. Well, guys, this was just like amazing. We're so, so grateful that you guys were able to take the time to talk with us today. We obviously love the show we loved little fires everywhere too attica we covered we that did. too but yes <laughs> which we did recaps of that whole show and just in love i with remember it. oh my god and liz we Tiglar, like yes. commented on one of our tweets and we almost died we literally yes. almost died she said something about the writer's room <laughs> was and listening. we were like do you yes. think they're listening we were like oh my god <laughs> i listened i listened. love it oh, oh my wow. gosh loved oh that's it. amazing we loved, loved it, it. Oh boy. Well, anyway, I, honestly, we love the thank show. You guys thank so you much. so much for taking the time. But also, I have to write down so many <laughs> of the things that you said. I'm taking away so much. This was like a free course in life, love, and writing. There you go. 
This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore Women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.